This week, we're talking about creating images with impact with Rick Salmon, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. This is Nick Page, and as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. This week, I had the opportunity to talk with Rick Salmon in person over on the Oregon coast, and we recorded this podcast, this conversation for both my podcast, as well as his podcast, which is Picturing Success. If you're not already subscribed to that podcast, you can go on iTunes and subscribe to his show, which I highly recommend. But in this conversation, we talked a lot about basically just kind of a general landscape photography tips and creating images with impact kind of dovetailing with the presentation that I gave his group, which was about creating images with impact. Rick is such a great guy. His enthusiasm is contagious. I always enjoy getting to hang out and talk with the godfather of photography, Rick Salmon. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation that I had with Rick over on the Oregon coast about creating images with impact. So this will be fun. Thanks, Rick, for sitting down and hanging out with me. Being with the world's famous Nick, Nick Page. This is amazing being here with you. And, the, and Nick Page and the Godfather. Um, <laughs> we're recording this for both of our podcasts. Those of you that don't know who I am, I'm Nick Page from the Landscape Photography Podcast, and I'm sitting down with Rick Salmon for your podcast. Yeah, the Picturing Success Podcast, but the Landscape Photography Podcast. For those listeners out there, for the Picturing Success Podcast, you got to check out this podcast. Nick is, he just gave a presentation. We're recording this in uh, on the Oregon Coast. He just yeah. gave a presentation that blew our audience away. You know, your focus stacking, your exposure, your composition, just amazing. Actually, <laughs> Alex Morley, a good friend who's actually doing the recording here uh he introduced you and then i added something on after all the accolades i said you're a great dad and i think that's really important well you are far too kind rick i appreciate (laughs) that one of the things that i was talking about in my talk with your group was creating images with impact and trying to figure out what it is that creates an image that has that initial wow factor when when somebody views it. And I think most people, um, even even Rick in the very beginning, when he first started taking photos, you notice that it just doesn't do the scene justice. It just doesn't have that uh, that impact that grabs a viewer. So Rick, what what advice do you have for people that are noticing that their images just lack that initial impact? Well, I think looking at your pictures is very, very important and critiquing yourself. But the thing that stood out uh, when you were giving all this list of, you know, what makes an image with impact, like a slow shutter speed, like a fast shutter speed, like color, like tremendous depth of field, it was that emotion. And, uh, you know, emotion when it comes to photographing a person, you could see if the, if the picture conveys emotion or not. But also even a landscape can convey mm-hmm. emotion. And you were talking about, which I really like that, the mood and the feeling, like how important the weather is, watching the weather. You know, go out in bad weather when it's stormy and cloudy and lightning. And those kind of pictures can often have, you know, much more emotion than when you go down to like the uh, the gift shops here and you look at the postcards where it's yeah. sunny and beautiful like in yeah. every shot. Yeah, and it's not always super obvious what even creates an image that has some form of emotion or moodiness. You hear the term moodiness and nobody ever really takes the time to explain what that means. I guess when I think of a moody image, a lot of times a moody image is 
a slightly darker image where there's lots of contrast, there's lots of darker tones in the shot. Uh, but it's also an image that maybe doesn't rely heavily on saturation. It's more of a composition-based composition. A dark shot with a really strong composition oftentimes has that initial moody feeling to it. And I also think I lo love some of your pictures there that had deep shadows. You know, with HDR today, so many people say, oh, I could open up all the shadows. I could do all this, you know, blending modes and everything. Mm -hmm. They open up the shadows and that destroys the mood often. You know, shadows, are one of my favorite expressions is shadows are the soul of the photograph. Yeah. And I love, you have a, a shot, forget where it's taken, where the left-hand side, you had these beautiful, dark shadows. And that creates a sense of mystery. And another expression that I like is, I think it goes something like when you take the mystery out of the photograph, you destroy the photograph. So having that sense of yeah. mystery, I think, is so important. You just don't want that flat shot. Now, I'm teaching HDR here, but <laughs> the first thing I did, some of our uh, participants are in the room here. I said, HDR is great, but HDR can ruin the mood of the scene. And if you love HDR, do a search on HDR on Google. You get 3,000 pages if you do, like, I hate HDR, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, you're creating these HDR-type images this amazing dynamic range but they don't look like like you were saying you want it to look like it looks to your eyes right one of the best ways to to lead a viewer through a photo is with highlights the highlights of your photo are what going are what's going to be drawing the eye of the viewer through your frame and you have to be smart about where you have them if you just have detail and shadow detail everywhere in your photo the eye is just going to bounce around all over in the photo when the eye does that it's not generally a very successful shot because there isn't that visual path so a visual path is often created through highlights those highlights are not going to have impact if there's not deep shadows so there has to be both deep shadows which repel the eye and those highlights to kind of draw the eye through the frame i think so another one light illuminates shadows define and I think when I'm teaching photography, when you're teaching photography, what I'm saying is let's look for those highlights. Let's look for the shadows. I think when we talk about any type of photography, we have to learn how to see the light. And in seeing the light, the, I think the most important thing is seeing the contrast range in the scene because yeah. sometimes the picture's not there, right? Mm -hmm. So seeing the contrast range of the scene and then envisioning the end result, see how we can control those highlights and shadows in Photoshop, Lightroom, or wherever, right? So the contrast range is important. The brightness level is important so we know where to set our ISO. Uh, the color of light is very, very important. You were demonstrating, uh, you were flipping through your new camera there doing the different white balances. And the color definitely affects the mood of the scene, which oh, actually is different in different cultures. Like yellow means something to, uh, in one culture might mean something different yeah. in another color and, bl and blue and so forth. If your audience is in a certain culture, you might want to think about how that color is going to affect the mood of the scene and the and the feeling of the photograph. Yeah, it's kind of a, a tangent a little bit, but we've both been to China. Yep. And one of the things that they teach you about the culture in China is you never show a black and white photo of somebody to themselves because the culture, at least the way I understand it in China, is that black and white photos are reserved for ancestors and for their family members that have passed on. So when you show a black and white photo of someone to themselves, it's like them seeing their own ghost. So it's kind of funny. I don't know if you well, experienced that. Yeah, yeah. Mandy and Mia Beals, right? Yeah. Our guys over there, in the, you know, just wonderful, wonderful yeah, people. Amazing people. But, so you're talking about respecting the subject, right? But this also comes to landscape photography, you know, you know the, the environment that you're in and also the animals. 
Doesn't it drive you crazy when you see mm. people like trashing? Well, I'm sure they don't do it on your workshops, but you see it, people trashing through the environment or getting too close to the animals, harassing the animals. Oh, so absolutely. I think in photography, respecting the subject, whatever it is, is very, very important. And I don't know if you've noticed this, Rick, but it seems recent, but with the gradual incline of the popularity of just outdoor activities in general there's more people going outdoors than there ever has been before and there's just so many people going to these beautiful locations the more humans you get into a location the the worse that location is going to be and, it's, and the more selfie sticks you have yes right? well and garbage and just just uh, the damage that comes from traffic now it's it's been something that i've noticed a lot in the pacific northwest so if someone said to you nick page the world famous nick page if you could only give one landscape photography tip what would that landscape photography tip be to be i guess a student of the weather i think the weather is the most impactful thing that's going to impact your photo, the, the most impactful external influence that's going to impact your photo. So being a student of the weather and making time to do photography when the weather is optimal for it. You know, the, the person that can only get out when the weather is not optimal, unfortunately, is not going to come away with as interesting of photos as the person that makes the time and studies the weather and, and gets out there when the weather is doing something really interesting. So I think my number one tip is to be a student of the weather and to go out when the light is going to do something interesting. So can you tell our listeners some of the apps that you use? Because our our, uh, <clears throat> our members here really love these apps that you were using. Yeah, so uh, for just basic general standard weather, I, I use Weatherbug. And the reason I use Weatherbug is it's simple, but it's also fairly full featured where you can, uh, you know, look at different radar maps and cloud cover maps and all the different basic things that you need. But it also has a really good lightning tracking feature called spark where you can see exactly in the entire country where all the lightning is falling and that, that's useful another one that i really like is weather underground and weather underground storm i think they've changed it to like storm tracker but it's basically called storm and it's just a, a really intuitive app where you can see uh, not only predictions for cloud cover and radar cover and all of that stuff, but it's just really detailed with a lot of different information. Another one that I've just started using, I've, I use a lot of them. Uh, another one I've just started using that I really like is called Clear Outside. And the reason I like that is because it gives you a cloud cover prediction as far as the percentage of clouds but not only that but the different levels of clouds so high medium and low clouds uh, along with a whole bunch of other meteorological stuff that is over nick's head but uh, <laughs> what's useful about that is the different levels of clouds greatly dictate the the type of sunset you could potentially get high clouds are always going to be the color catching clouds where they're way up high they're going to catch those reds and pinks and magentas the the medium clouds can be the more boofy that's a great term the the more uh you associate them with either puffy clouds or like storm clouds those are going to be the medium level and low clouds are typically typically going to be like the light blocking clouds when it's really overcast it's raining um so knowing those three different things super super useful cool uh when you review portfolios you know, you do this on your workshops, right? At the end of the, I'm sure you have like a group slideshow. Is there anything that drives you crazy? For me, you know, basically, if the horizon line is tilted, you know, that, that's one. 
Also, blown out highlights. I really try not to blow out highlights. Sometimes when I'm shooting into the sun, you know, that does happen. But I'm really careful about that. Is there anything when you look at, critique a landscape photograph that says, you know, I can't believe this person didn't think of that or something they, I really hope, wish that person had thought of that? Typically, my biggest critique is just not getting close enough to the main point of the photo. There's always a reason you took a photo. You stand on this seascape and you're loving, you know, the way the water is interacting with the rocks or whatever it is. Maybe there's a sea star and it's on that rock. But the biggest problem or the biggest mistake that I see oftentimes is people just don't get close enough to the interesting subject. So if you do have that sea star, if it's a tiny little, you know, orange dot in your frame, it's not going to be very impactful to the frame. But if you get right up close to it and make it large and and obvious that that's why you took the photo in the first place, it's going to make for a more successful photo, I think. So usually it's just not getting close enough or not filling the frame enough with the reason you took the photo in the first yeah. place. If you think you're close, get closer. Another way to put that, I think, is cut the clutter. Yeah, you know, that You had a wonderful picture uh, taken in a forest and you gave, <laughs> gave everyone mm -hmm. some good advice today. You said, you want to challenge yourself going to a forest, you know, oh, where it's a, like a compositional mess and try to make, you know, great composition there. I think that's very, very important. But I think cutting the clutter, when yep. I see landscape photos too, people, there's just too much clutter. You have to have a main subject. It could be that little starfish that you're speaking about. Yeah. Anytime that you're able to simplify the scene down to only what is helping the story, that is only going to be a good thing. And sometimes you can take that to just extreme levels where like, you know, the photo I shared from the, the painted hills in Oregon, typically you see all of the painted hills with the sky, but by filling the frame with just one painted hill and no sky and nothing else to distract the viewer, it gives that just initial impact because there is literally nothing else to look at in that photo but the reason I took the photo in the first place. And showing people something that they don't often see oftentimes makes yeah. for a more interesting photo because nothing is more boring than looking at a photo of something that you see absolutely every day. So the more rare the subject is that you're looking at in a photo it makes it more interesting I think. well speaking speaking of that do you know jay mazel i or don't know of him he's okay. a uh, alex morley our friend who's our videographer right now who's co-leading the workshop with me he took a workshop from jay mazel in new york city and when jay re uh, uh reviews pictures he's a little harsh on people and so i'm gonna have to tone it down for your listeners <laughs> and our listeners i'm gonna tone it down a lot and our listeners who know jay and know what i'm speaking about but when he looks at a picture he'll ask you I'm going to tone it down. Why the heck should I care about that picture? But this is actually a really good question because if you're going to show Jay Maisel or someone like yourself a picture, you should ask, I think, yourself, why should the person I'm showing it to you care? Yeah. So I think what you're saying is by getting closer, you want someone to care about what's in the photograph. So caring, I think, is really important. And, and when you're looking through your pictures, okay, maybe no one's going to care about this picture. It might be sentimental to you. You mentioned uh, that your mom passed away when you were on, mm -hmm. on a workshop, uh, and we're sorry for that. But, uh, you know, those pictures that you took were re a reflection of your mood in there. Yeah. I think it showed that you really cared about making those pictures. And I think that's kind of a relevant subject given you know just the, the kind of the state of social media these days and i it's something that <laughs> <laughs> something that i talk about fairly often on the show is social media unfortunately can be very um look at me driven 
you know, and people are doing things for the, the sake of getting more likes. And it's, they're not always doing things that really speak to them. They're doing things that they unfortunately know that they'll get a lot of likes or, you know, a lot, a lot of shares or whatever it is. And they're not necessarily doing the type of photography that speaks to them. They're doing the type of photography that could potentially get the word out about them and their photography right. a little bit more. So I feel like it's a, it's a relevant topic and I don't know that everybody is shooting entirely for what they're passionate about. And I, I encourage people to do that, you know, shoot what you're passionate about because uh, that's going to be what's more fulfilling and that's going to be what you're going to be able to do for a long period of time for the rest of your life. That's what that's going to be what you can do for a long period of time, because if you're not passionate about it, you're yeah. going to get burnt out and you're going to get burnt out quickly. So if you want to have longevity, find what it is that you're passionate about and do that. And that's the best way to really have a, your own unique voice, I think, in photography. I think you're right. Too many people, like even I publish <laughs> sunset pictures, right? I publish one from here. It gets tons of likes. If I'm in a Buddhist temple in Myanmar with candles around a Buddhist monk, you know, not, not, not yeah. that many likes. But that type of picture is so important to me. Right. For the social media thing, I think you're 100% right. And people are bragging. They get like a million followers. Oh, I got, they put on, I got a million followers. Now, to get sponsors, that's important, uh, and yeah. which is a whole other thing. I'm sure you see it that the sponsors are interested in someone who has a lot of likes. It doesn't matter whether they're good or not. Yep. Right? Yeah, we, li we live in the, t the period of rather than being good photographers, we're called influencers. Right, <laughs> because, exactly. Because we right. have, you know, we have Instagram and Instagram stories and stuff. You know, it's a it's a new set of problems, I guess you could say, um, for this particular time period we're in. You know, we'll be we'll watch this video of ourselves in ten years and be laughing because yeah, yeah. We'll, it'll feel so dated because Instagram might not even exist in ten years Maybe. and we'll have a totally different set of problems. But it's not something that you probably had 20 years ago. That wasn't the, the problem. Well, 30 years ago when I was shooting film. Now, yeah. Nick Page has never shot film. Never. Uh, I grew up shooting slide film, actually print film, negative film, and then slide film. Now, you're so lucky because with slide film, as uh, Alex Morley knows, my friend, Alex only knows, when you're shooting slide film, you have to be, you have to be right on. Yeah. What's the exposure latitude now? It's just amazing what we could pull out of the shadows and tone down in the highlights. But when I shoot digital, I shoot it like I'm shooting slide film. I'm exposing for the highlights. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm moving that histogram over to the right to the point where I might get a blinky and then move it back. You know, it's tempting with these new, new cameras or the big screens to look at just the picture. But I don't know about you, but I always shoot with the histogram on and the highlight alert activated because, yep. you know, the screen doesn't really tell you. Yeah, the highlights, a blown highlight is like the only thing that you can't correct for later on. Like once a highlight is gone, right. it's gone forever. With Especially with modern cameras nowadays that are ISO invariant and all these crazy things, you can get away with underexposing so much more than ever before. Especially now that I've switched to the Sony camera that I'm shooting, that thing is just a beast as far as like recovering shadows. So I totally agree. Exposing for your highlights, making sure that you're not overexposing the highlight because that's the one thing that yeah. you can't fix in post unless you're cloning in fake highlights. <laughs> I, th I think 10 years from now, people might be saying, what's HDR? Because the dynamic range of the sensors is just getting so, yeah. uh, so great. I do have a tip uh, for, uh, you know, photographing landscapes. If, if someone said, you know, what's your one, you know, what's the one tip? So I have something called my one picture promise. And the one picture promise is this, that if you're in a situation and you say to yourself, 
I'm, I can only take one picture. I promise that person, if they think about the picture, what lens, what exposure, what angle, you know, should I use a tripod, should I use a filter? If they think about all that stuff, I can only take one picture. I promise them that they'll get a higher percentage of pictures, and it works all the time. Absolutely. Because otherwise, you're just shooting, shooting this. What do we call it? Uh, shooting is spraying and praying, yeah. right? So I think if you think, a lot of people with the digital cameras, they don't have to think so much anymore. So I was at uh, Thor's Well yesterday, and I said, if, "Okay, I'm only going to take one picture." And I've taken a lot of pictures of the well out to the uh, ocean. I said, okay, I'm going to follow my own advice. So I got off to the side. I think Europe, if you go up to the left side and you mm -hmm. get the coast down the, uh, down the right, maybe you influence that subconsciously. <laughs> I don't know. But I think that's an important thing. Think about that one picture. What would that picture be? Yeah. It'll save you a lot of time downloading too. Mm-hmm. Photography in general is such a technical thing these days, especially, you know, we're using these high-tech cameras and really fancy tripods and everything. And it's a very technically driven art for sure. Like yeah. as far as art forms go, it's probably the most technically driven. And because of that, I think people struggle to work backwards as far as like they envision what they're going for and then work backwards from there. A lot of people, they, they work forwards, meaning they start with their equipment. They start with their tripod and then they get out their camera mm -hmm. and they click it on top of the, and then they have this big apparatus and then they're like, okay, I'm going to be creative now. And <laughs> what I encourage people to do is to start off with the, the final result that you're going for and then work backwards. So you find that shot visually with your eyes and then you figure out, okay, where do I need to get my camera to get that shot? And then you figure out where you need your camera and then you're like, okay, so what settings do I need to create this envisioned photo that I have in my head? And then you figure out your settings and then you're like, you realize, oh, I don't even need a tripod for those settings. Or you realize you do and then you bust out the tripod. Working backwards from the end result rather than starting with equipment and then being creative after equipment, I think is, a, is something too. Well, Ansel Adams was really big on that, right? The pre-visualization, uh, pre he called it. So yeah, he envisioned what he could do in the dark room, and I think that's really important. If the scene's not there, it looks flat, like we were at uh, Strawberry Hill this morning. Man, oh man, did it look flat. But, you know, add a little clarity, adjust your levels, uh, maybe some blacks, uh, dehaze. You know, if you envision the end result, that really helps you get the best possible in-camera image. And I think a lot of people today don't think about how can I get the best possible in-camera image, right? They just, yeah. you know, the bracket. You probably never heard of this. Do you know what the BLH rule is? Mm -hmm. Bracket like hell? Yeah, bracket like <laughs> hell. This is what we had to do with slide film. Oh, speaking of Ansel Adams, your listeners might enjoy the story. Our listeners have heard it uh, before. Uh, John Sexton, he was one of Ansel Adams' assistants. Do you yeah. follow him at all? Great uh, black and white photographer. One of the things that helps him get great images is that he talks to trees. But he has amazing pictures of trees, so it must work. So anyway, he's telling, <laughs> I'm teaching a workshop with uh, John Sexton, and he's telling all these Ansel Adams stories. So he tells this Ansel Adams story, and I think it has to do with what we're talking about, what I was talking about at the beach today, right? Uh, where it was overcast and cloudy and everything. So <clears throat> this is before computers. This is back in the 70s. Someone on the East Coast writes Ansel Adams a letter on the West Coast, and this person is really unhappy with Ansel Adams. Could you imagine <laughs> being unhappy with Ansel Adams? He says, Dear Mr. Adams, I re I'm really unhappy. He says, I have your posters. I have your books. I have one of your original prints. You inspired me to go to Yosemite. And when I got there, it didn't look like that. <laughs> so it's a funny story, but Yosemite doesn't look like that, right? It looks kind of like that. And I think what you're talking about, Ansel Adams, you know, he envisioned that end result. What can I do yeah. if, to bring out, you know, talk about HDR. 
he was the first HDR photographer, mm -hmm. an amazing HDR photographer, and he created these HDR high dynamic range, range images in the uh, in the wet dark room. Right, and he was one of the first really heavy post processors too. Yeah, you know, he spent so much time in 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 the dark room doing a lot of the things that you know modern photographers are doing now dodging and burning and and he was really one of the first people to do that and that's also what really set him apart because it was a whole lot of work to do that back then well him and karsh of ottawa a great portrait photographer he did the same thing you've probably seen the picture of and our listeners probably have seen it of hemingway in that sweater and it looks like a silver print uh, every detail in his beard not as cool as your beard but <laughs> every detail <laughs> in close. the beard and karsh would do the same thing so getting back to these expressions one of my favorites another favorite is you can't spend too much time working on a picture because your soul is in the picture now because sometimes on workshops people say oh, i'm spending too much time if you love that picture you know your mm -hmm. soul is in the picture now if you take a picture of your dog a cat a bird <laughs> your soul may not be in that picture but if you really love a picture you know spend the spend the time on it and someone asked, asked about, you know, how, how can I do something in Photoshop? Use Lightroom more than Photoshop? I use Photoshop more than Lightroom, actually. All right. You, yep. me, Dave Cross. When I was at Photoshop <laughs> World teaching, myself and Dave Cross were the only two guys there who used Photoshop more than Lightroom. Yeah. So I'm so glad to hear that. But someone said, oh, I need to do this. I said, well, you could do it. And I said, did you ever hear the Stephen Wright joke? You know Stephen Wright? Oh, yeah. Stephen, mm -hmm. he has all these one-liners. And one of his one-liners is this. Everything is within walking distance as long as you have time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no so it's the same thing in Photoshop. Everything's yeah. possible in Photoshop almost as long as you have time. So I, I don't. I encourage people spend a lot of time going back. And speaking of that, you know we're working under fluorescent lights here, and some people on the workshops are like under stress and they're drinking coffee and having some uh, rogue, <laughs> rogue uh, dead guys at night. Yeah. And all these things, believe it or not, stress, um, age. <laughs> I've all of you. Stress, age, caffeine, and alcohol. They affect how we see color. So people working on their monitors at night, whether they're having happy hour or some coffee, working on the pictures, they may may wake up the next day and say what was i thinking right <laughs> <laughs> which happens to me <laughs> every day <laughs> every day but anyway so my advice is especially if you print don't drink and print <laughs> <laughs> don't drink and print great great advice from from the godfather rick seven you know and when you're talking about spending a lot of time on a photo one of the things that people should spend more time at not only on each edit but spend more time really culling through your work after a photo shoot i think a lot of people they they get a little bit lazy when it comes to culling through and finding the very best composition that you took that particular day um, you, you take all these photos and if you don't take the time to find the perfect one or the best one, you're not, you're going to be spending all of that time on the wrong photo. Spend a little bit of extra time culling through and making sure that you're only spending that amount of time on your very best rather than spending that amount of time on all of your B-list stuff. You find this, getting back to the picture I took at uh, Thor's well yesterday, I was really happy with the shot. And if I didn't get that shot, I wasn't happy with any of the other shots. Does, does that ever happen to oh, you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, I, there's I just that one. And if that one wouldn't have happened, you wouldn't right. have got anything. That's yeah. right. It's amazing. So I think it's, it's really important to go through those shots and see what's your best exposure-wise, composition-wise, mood-wise, feeling-wise, mm -hmm. action-wise. And it's something to keep in mind when you go out and you feel like you're just totally getting skunked on something is you're only one photo away from it being a complete success you know it only takes that one photo from every shoot that you go to for for it to be worth it and to, to be a good 
outing. So when you're feeling down on yourself, it's not always that you're not going to get anything. Maybe you just haven't got that, that interesting moment yet. Well, speaking of that and being down, I was say, saying the other day on a workshop, sometimes it's like an up and down thing. You get a great shot, you feel really great. Then you go to the next location and someone got, everyone else got a great shot, you didn't get a great shot. Mm-hmm. So it's up and down. So, but I think that's part of the learning experience. The highs are high and the lows are lows. Yep. You know, it's, it's kind of like being on, um, on a roller coaster, right? But being, a, being, on a, being on a roller coaster is way more fun than being on the merry-go-round, right? You just get the mm-hmm. same stuff all the time. So I think that's part of the learning process. So what I'm trying to say, I think what Nick is trying to say to our listeners, you know, you're not always going to go out and get the great shots. It's like playing golf. Yep. You know, you may get some, have a great, do you play golf? Yeah, I do. Actually. Oh, so you know, you get, <laughs> you get the, the great putt or the pin shot or whatever, yeah. you know, from, you know, 50 yards away, you're so happy. But the next day you may go out, you may really suck. Yep. Right? Yep. It's those really bad rounds that make you appreciate the good rounds. Yeah. And it's those really bad photography outings that make you appreciate when everything just goes right and a rainbow pops out yeah. over the top of your composition. It's, um, you wouldn't appreciate that stuff if it happened every day. Certainly does not happen every time you go out and it makes you appreciate the good times. Speaking of golf, <clears throat> I was taking golf lessons. And by the way, for our listeners who've never <laughs> played golf, golf is the only sport where the more lessons you take, the worse you could get. <laughs> Nick's yeah. laughing because, right? Yeah. But my golf instructor gave me great advice, which applies to photography, I think. And the advice was the first day she saw me swing, she said, I'm going to give you some good advice. I said, What's that? She said, Slow down. And once I started slowing down and evening out my swing, you know, I got, I got a lot better. And I think photography, people like you were talking before, they get down, they set up the tripods, they do this, 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 and they got to get the shot. Mm-hmm. But if you slow down, and again, think about that one picture and just breathe and, you know, experience the moment rather than just, I got to get the shot, I got to get the shot. Yeah, and part of that comes from people that only have a, you know, a small window to do photography in. You know, people that only get to do photography every so often, you, there's, you put so much pressure on yourself to get good photos during that time that you feel pressured, you feel rushed. And then if you look over at the guy that gets to shoot every day, they're just you know, walking around with their hands in their pockets. They don't even have their camera out yet. And the reason for that is they, they feel a lot more patient because they don't put that pressure on them to get a good photo every time they go out. You know, how ironic is it that the person that doesn't get to do photography all the time feels more pressure than the person that does to get a good photo. And that's really unrealistic pressure we're putting on ourselves. You need to just kind of take a deep breath, relax. If you get a good photo, great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. Um, You'll get one next time or whatever. Absolutely. I feel like this was a good conversation, right? Oh, it's always fun seeing <laughs> you again. Thank you so much for uh, presenting at our workshop. Our uh, participants loved your work. I think you got some people for your, uh, actually, your Palouse and your Iceland workshops. Well, uh, I have so many workshops going on right now, I can't even keep them all straight. Uh, doing a couple Faroe Islands next year that sold out. Um, I got a lot going on. Kauai coming up soon. That's cool. I'm excited for. But anyways, thank you so much, Rick. And make sure for my listeners to go check out your podcast. Where can people find it? Uh, PicturingSuccess.com and you? Uh, Landscape Photography Podcast. And you can find them both on iTunes, on uh, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Rick. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>